that's just not good enough. The heat's getting to me. And I'm just starting to think, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to fucking die right here. And because I, I, nobody can afford the prices that people are that, that people were wanting to charge me for this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to get my AC fixed. I priced this stuff out myself. If I got completely just totally hosed on the uh, on the total repair job, I would pay at most 250 bucks, right? The price yeah. quotes I was getting, they were closer to like a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. I'm like, you're, you're fucking crazy, okay? There was, in fact, you know what? Actually, here's a story I've never told before. I called ARS, right? Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I've got the quote right here. Son of a bitch. Uh, ARS, <laughs> right? Called this guy from ARS, right? Fucking barely spoke English, right? Uh, comes out to the house and he he does his little inspection of my AC unit and everything. And he's like, oh, this cost uh, twelve hundred dollar. To fix, you pay, you pay. This good deal, you pay. And I'm like, dude, fuck, I, I twelve hundred bucks. Who's got twelve hundred bucks, man? Fuck you. No, I'm not gonna pay that, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. If you had told me over the phone that it was gonna be anywhere near this kind of money, I'd have told you to take that phone and stick it up your ass. All right, there's no way I'm gonna pay that much money. Get out of my house. And the guy said, no, it, it it's twelve hundred dollars. It's a good deal. You pay. I'm like, no, I not, I, I no pay. No, you get out of, you get out <laughs> my house. And so. And, the, and then the guy goes in his fucking I, – I swear to God. I open up the door to let the guy out. He goes in his fucking kung fu stance on me. All right? I'm like, <laughs> okay, motherfucker, you're going to bow up to me in my house? Seriously? And so he like hauls back his fist like he's going to punch me, right? I'm like, dude, I am not afraid of you or your kung fu, Neo. So I grab him by his fucking shirt and I throw him out the door and stuff. And now – yeah. Because he was about to punch me, man. What am I supposed to do? So anyway, I threw him out in the lawn, and I, and I said, you know, dude, you ever come back to my house? Fucking, you better hope the cops find you before I do. That's all I can tell you. All right, get out, <laughs> go, leave, get the hell off my property. And so um, anyway, so I come back upstairs, and dude, I'm just fucking fuming, right? And it doesn't I'm help, sure. you know, that I'm already like really hot and bothered to begin with because it's so fucking hot inside my house and stuff because it's July and it's Texas and I'm crazy. Anyway, and so I'm starting to think now, you know what? I'm going to die. If it's not – if a heat stroke doesn't get me, it's going to be because I, I had a coronary because that fucking retard comes over to my house. He tries to pick a fight, you know? Hey, your attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Trennis Magnus, Donkey Punches Reality. I'm your host, Magnus, and I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. 
usually. But that's not today, though. Today, there's a long, boring, pointless, fucking drawn-out story about what this episode was originally going to be. And it ended up basically just not working out for me so well. Something, basically a few things that are completely not my fault came crashing down around my ears. And so I've called upon several of my podcasting friends to help me out. And many have responded to the call with great gusto, I might add. And so it is with great pleasure that I welcome back Mr. Scott Rifen, co-host of the Dinner for Geeks podcast. I welcome him back to the show. Hello, Scott. How you doing, sir? Hello. I am wonderful. I, I appreciate the invitation back, Magnus. It is uh, a humbling thing to be in your presence again. Oh, well, you know, like I said, there's always room for more loyal subjects in my kingdom here. I gotta tell you, yes. I'm actually gonna have a sort of fun night, because as he and I record this, peeling back the curtain a little bit, as he and I record all this, tonight is Oscar night. That's and, right. Yeah, and uh, very frankly, I could give two fucks about the Oscars, but... This is a good opportunity for other things. Take, for example, my girlfriend who posted on Facebook mere moments ago, poor Jennifer Lawrence ate it on the red carpet, and I saw an opportunity here to troll my girlfriend. So I commented, yeah, heard about that. People are saying she's going to get fired or lose out on future movies or something because of that. To which my girlfriend promptly lost her shit over that and asked why, and I said that people are saying that she did it on purpose. They think she did it on purpose. And unintentionally, this seems to have taken on a life of its own because people are saying that she's actually fallen multiple times now, and so people actually are thinking that she did this on purpose. So who knows? Maybe this will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> That's my I evening. Know, I don't want to know more about Jennifer Lawrence munching carpet. Well, <clears throat> there are certain laws against that. Hold on, wait. What do you What do you mean? <laughs> I, just, I just try to figure out what you're saying. Yeah, well, basically, she uh, ate it when she yeah, totally tripped. Twice, oh. and uh, totally okay. just like wiped out and uh, oh. did, did so a face plant. Fell. Yeah, fell over, she tripped, did oh. a face plant, uh, kissed the ground, however you want to look at it. But oh, you know, I, the, the I, ground I, was coming on to her, you know, she lost control of herself, you know what happens. It happens, it does, especially in Hollywood. Mm. So, anyways, that's my evening, what you been up to? Uh, I have spent the last, what time is it now? It's, it's, it's okay. Uh, I took an hour out for dinner, but otherwise, I have spent since 1 o'clock this afternoon working on the latest episode of Dinner for Geeks. With 10,000 cuts in this episode. Yes. Yes, there are. Now, with more cuts. And, you know, yeah, dude, that should be the, the, the title of, uh, of your next episode, dude. Death by a Thousand Cuts. Yeah. What? You know, I'll save that one. Yeah. I'll yeah. save that one because we, we actually have one based on Trinus Magnus Donkey Punches for Reality that we might use for the title yet. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> oh, right. I'm getting more and more famous it's, all the time. Yeah, well, this is uh, what's what's interesting about this episode is it is the sequel that nobody demanded. And you were happy to give it to him, right? Yes. Last year, <laughs> early on, Ron came to the table and he he – he showed up one day and he said, I want to do this Wookiee Award thing. And we were like, what are you talking about? And why are you saying it like that? And he said, I, I got an idea. I want to do the Wookiee Awards and it's going to be, we're going to name the best film. And and we were totally clueless. I mean, he just showed up at the table. He had an illustration of a Wookiee Award trophy and he wanted to immediately name all the best books and movies and TV shows and all of that. And we were totally unprepared. And so we kind of said afterwards, maybe if you want to do this next year, give us a little heads up. And he said, okay, so this year he did, but now what happened after that was we put the, the episode up, and it is, to this day, the least downloaded episode in history 
of this program. Wow. <laughs> How's that for a ringing endorsement? Yeah. So then he showed up and I'm going to do Wookiee Awards too. And went, okay, great. So it is literally the sequel. Nobody demanded the latest Wookiee Awards. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. The Wookiee Awards. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, I would think, and you know what? I reserve the right to be wrong on this, but I would, I would expect that there's really not going to be a whole lot of suspense about what the winning TV show is. I would think that if we know nothing really? else, we know what you guys are going to pick for your TV show. Yeah. Oh, you do, do you? I would have thought so, yeah. Doctor well, Who, the right? Episode, the episode will be out before this episode's out, so we can talk about it. No spoilers here. Oh, okay. All right, well, no spoilers. Okay, fair enough. No, no, we can, do sto- we can do spoilers. There won't be any spoilers. That's what I mean. We're okay. Oh, okay. All right, well, then uh, lay it on me. What you got? Well, we each we each went individually with the TV shows, and I don't think anybody picked Doctor Who as their TV show. Strangely enough. Now, we did pick it as one of the categories was uh, event of the year. And we picked Doctor Who's 50th for the event of the year. Ah. But um, for TV shows, actually, one of the guys picked The Blacklist. Hmm. One of the guys picked Orange is the New Black. I picked The Returned. Okay. Have you seen The Returned? I have not seen The Returned. Do you know the premise of The Returned? I've never even heard of The Returned. This is this is the weirdest story that I've seen in Hollywood this week. And I was going to bring it up on the recording we did Thursday night, but we ran out of time. Um, this is The Returned is a show on Independent Film Channel. It's a French TV show. Wait, is, no, no, no. You th- No, this has come up on your show before. I remember yeah. this. Yeah, you know, you guys yeah. were talking about it. Basically, the premise was... Um, or the promise, I should say, was that if you watch that first episode, that's it. You're in because you can't turn back after that. It's like the first episode of Veronica Mars. I defy anybody to watch that and not want to watch the rest of the fucking series. It's basically about like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And never so, heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, here's the weird thing. The other day I'm watching TV and there's a, an ad comes on for a new show on ABC called Resurrection. And Resurrection is the premise of the return, for those of you who don't know, is there's this small town in France, and all of a sudden several people who've been dead for years just kind of show back up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of their play on the zombie thing. They're not flesh-eating, or they're not blue and all this. They look normal. They're fine. They don't remember what's happened to them, but of course everybody else knows they've been dead, so they have to try and figure out how to reintegrate them into their lives. What do they do to reintegrate them into their lives? How do they come back? They don't know. Whole thing. Mm-hmm. So on ABC the other day, they do this premise for this show called Resurrection, which is about these people who in this small town who all come back to life and have been dead for some time, and they try to reintegrate them into their lives. Oh, okay, wow. And I went, you're kidding. This has got to be based on The Return. So I looked it up. It is not based on The Returned. It is based on a novel called The Returned. Weird. That has nothing to do with the TV show called The Returned. The original title of the series was going to be called The Returned, but they changed it to Resurrection because A&E is doing an American version of The Returned. (laughs) That is fucked up. (laughs) That is, whoa, that is weird. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost kind of hard to to believe that there's no intentionality. I mean, if you say they're unrelated, I'll believe you. But, wow, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe there's no intentionality there, you know? 
I read that. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I think that was in Hollywood Reporter where I read it because I was interested when I saw the thing. I said, well, surely that's based on the return because it's the exact same premise. And then when I read, no, it's not. It's based on a novel that just happens to have the exact same premise as well. Well, you know what? I've, it's a stupid idea for a TV show, but I did actually have an idea for a TV show once. <laughs> What's that? Uh, basically goes like this, right? You've got this small American suburb. You know, it's just modern day, whatever the modern day American suburbs look like. People go to bed one night. They wake up the next morning <clears throat> And the town is now 100 years in the past. That's what everything looks like. It's still in the ah. day, but somehow, fucking, it's just reverted, right? Mm-hmm. So what the hell happened? Hmm. So anyway, do you, do you uh, know, fuck, I don't know, that... dude. I, I couldn't tell you. I have no, no idea. I, I, look, it's my job to dream up wacky shit. It's other people's job to figure out how it all fits together. Point is, though, I thought, well, you know, like if if the whole idea behind any kind of a TV show is the hook. And I mean, like, I don't mean, you know, something like Dawson's Creek or something like that or Seinfeld where, you know, you know kind of what the shtick is going into it. I mean, more like a uh, like a thriller type of a show, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say mystery, but something like that, you know, where you're basically coming back to get answers like a lot. Like, OK, like Lost. All right. Basically, there's yeah, a hook to sure. it and they get they get they get you on the hook in the first episode and then they give you more hooks as the thing goes on. At the same time, they give you releases as well. So you're constantly on the line until the very end when you find out that everybody's a fucking zombie, apparently. So, yeah, <laughs> to tie it all back. No, that's yeah, that's that's the way it ought to be. That's that's good TV writing. Little Thanks. arcs, big overarching storyline. Hopefully you have some answers unlike the X-Files. Um, but that's a whole different. Thing. I never really watched the, I, and you know what? This is gonna maybe sound bad, but it's just there was something about Jillian Anderson. In fact, you know what? I don't even want to fucking. I'm actually gonna edit that out. Shit. No, no, no. Go there. <laughs> well, there's no. an obvious fact about Jillian Anderson, and um, there was something about her that just did not sit right with me. Like the rest of America's kind of drooling over her, right? Because she has like this. I- no, I had the exact same thing. That's why I want you to go. Well, and that maybe that's about as far into it as I need to go. But then we found out something about Jillian Anderson, and it kind of, I kind of felt a little bit vindicated after that. And, yeah. Um, and I hate to say it, but like, <clears throat> uh, uh, Portia de Rossi, uh, fucking, uh, what, what's the, what's her face from uh, Silence of the Lambs? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Never even thought twice about those two. So obviously my, no, no. my sensory equipment is not as fine tuned as it might be. But at least I saw Gillian Anderson coming. I, at least I can say that. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I still am very sad about Portia de Rossi, frankly. But and not that there was ever a shot anyway. But well, still. Yeah, but it's just like. Well, you know what? Yeah, shit, any further than that, we are going to piss somebody off. So, yeah, I'm just going to say <laughs> Although, it was a surprise. It was a serious <laughs> kick in the nards to find out about that one. I of mean, course, I I remember my dad way back in the day well, during Ellen DeGeneres' early days, and she's out there doing stand-up. And I remember my dad going, hey, you know that Ellen DeGeneres is kind of cute. And I said, dad, <laughs> uh, we probably need to talk. So, <laughs> now, now, was she out at that time? or? Um, it was It was the... It was the secret that everybody knew that was that nobody knew. Oh, so that makes like, sense. Yeah, it's kind of like Michael Stipe. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. 
Well, I mean, come on. Who, you know the, who among us didn't see that one coming, you know? No, exactly. Uh, well, but let me uh, – back to Jillian Anderson. One of the problems I had with her, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to – and probably you don't heap on women, but her profile was to me exactly that of that Jor-El mask from the first Superman movie during the the – you know, Kal-El matures segment where he's off in the Arctic. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah. 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 And his okay. face, they have this, like, it's almost like a crystal mask of his face comes up. Right. And then you zip through his eye and then there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. You're she, her right. profile is almost that. You're right. And that always bothered me. Maybe that was it. Like some subconscious level, that's what actually was, was bugging me. Cause that, you know, if you think about it and like my, history of things that would actually tend to make sense because i gotta tell you dude my gaydar is not for shit so <laughs> otherwise so you know but maybe that was it you know maybe i looked at her and i just and i just i, I just saw something that it just kind of reminded me of that you know like yeah I, I just thought my son it's been you you you, you do not remember me <laughs> all these years i don't even get a fucking father's day card it's, the sun. That's almost Barbara Streisand, though. That's bad. <laughs> well, it's the best I could do on short notice, so... I gotcha. I gotcha. Anyway, a friend of mine can do a really good Christopher Walken, though. So, yeah. But he's not on the show, so I guess there's no point bringing that up. So, well, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, it's just like... The other thing about, about X-Files was... Uh, maybe my issue there was that I was just kind of... I was just too young for it. Because if that show came that that started like 1995, was it or 94? Uh, 90, 94, I think. Yeah, because that seems right. Because Briscoe started in 93, and I think they replaced it. I think they replaced Briscoe with that. Well, it's Fox. If I, I mean, they replaced right. fucking everything with everything else. Yeah. You know? Okay. Uh, well, I know, but, but it just it kind of felt like I was in the mood for more like. Some kind of like alien conspiracy type of uh, of show. I could have gone with that, but every single promo for that thing I saw revolved around monsters of the week and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and just kind of yep. more out there, sort of paranormal type stuff. And that was a little bit too far outside my wheelhouse at the time. Now my view is that if X Files had started, like I don't know today, I would probably mm -hmm. be on board with it. And it's just the way that it is right now. If you miss the boat on something that drastically, it's so hard to come back to it later on sometimes, you know? I agree. I agree. I, I actually have every single season of it on DVD mm -hmm. and have never opened any of them. Really? Because I never, I never cared for the show, but my wife liked it. So I found all the sets on sale one day, and I said, well, I'll do my wife a favor and get these. And she never opened them. So obviously her love wasn't that's again, that's, I, we were talking about this on D4G the other day about uh, guys and, and Oh, and not pretentious not. at all. D4G D4G. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> hey, you know, I got to get it out there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Go right ahead, dude. It's all you. <laughs> <laughs> but women, women don't do nostalgia like we do. And we will sit and watch the crap out of a TV show over and over and over and over again. And they've seen it and they like it and they cherish it, but then they're, they move on and we don't move on. We stay stuck. And I mean, that's why we all love the same things we all loved when we were six years old. 
you it's know, just that's the way we do it. Well, yeah, and you know, like I actually, it's it's actually funny that this should come up because I was listening to that episode, and God, I'm already blanking on the episode number. Yeah, number fifty six, right? And the I, episode of D4G. Yeah, of D4G. <laughs> you know, with Scott Rifen and the gang. And, and less uh, interesting three. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you know, the minute you hear something like that, especially a, like a generalization of that kind of magnitude, immediately what you yeah. want to do is think of all different kinds of exceptions. But what you come down to is those are the exceptions that really do prove the rule. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, my girlfriend has got a serious, borderline unhealthy, really obsession with Dallas, the TV show Dallas. And watches it like with with I would say, you know, a a fairly alarming regularity, and mm. but is she nostalgic in general? I wouldn't say so, and I think that maybe she's got a very like particular kind of emotional content wrapped up in that in that show, and that it reminds her of certain things that when she was a kid and like her her, her family and all that stuff. But for but. As far as like nostalgia in general, dude, I gotta tell you, man. The more I thought about it, dude, you're kind of right. You know, I don't oh, think. Oh yeah, yeah. Are, are, and In fact, actually, I got busted one time for saying actually something even more egregious. Are you ready for this? Uh oh. What I said was that women aren't geeks. Are into geeks? No, are not geeks. Oh, are not into geeks. Oh, are not geeks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and sure. basically my the way the way I basically what geek means to me is is and I mean this more like in our universe of of geekitude is some like take me for example, right? I'm interested I mean I am I am obsessed. Not just appreciative of obsessed with Smallville, right? And like tracking sure. out all the different little character arcs and well, you know, Clark really couldn't have made this particular decision that he makes in season six. He really couldn't have done that back in season four because just psychologically he wasn't there yet. This other shit had to happen first and got it, everything just fits together. It's all so perfect. And or and, and I guess what I'm saying is basically like the granular minutiae of story. Yes. I don't think women are as into that. They don't get the same things out of say, the Avengers, that men do. I mean, women know that they like seeing Loki with no shirt on, but is that really the same thing as being kind of, I would say, almost maybe too obsessed with goings-on related to the Cosmic Cube, I mean, the Tesseract, and all this other stuff? (laughs) I just don't think so. And the minute you say that, people instantly want to say, oh, well, you're fucking sexist or or, or whatever else. No, it's... you're a misogynist. And no, it's not that. It's basically just the, the recognition... That men and women are different, and thus they get different things out of entertainment media. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you hate women to say that, you know, they may be like comic book art, but as far as like story, I I'm not convinced. I I, I you know, I, you get people like Colleen Doran, the comic book writer and artist, I guess, and people like her are the exception that prove the rule. Like you were saying about women not really attaching themselves so much to nostalgia. I don't. I, it's not that they're not. Into geek stuff, obviously they are. They go to cons and stuff. But I guess what I'm saying is they don't get the same bullshit out of geek culture that, say, you and I would. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, yeah, and like, they're also willing. Yeah, they're also willing to move on to something else. And we don't do that. No, we don't. And I, I don't know. It's you know, it, it's just it's it's just one of those weird things. Now I'm 
I'm sure that every woman who's listening to this is saying, you know, that's not true. That's not true of me. Great. Well, you know what, lady, I'm happy that's not true of you. You can't say it's not true. No. So it's like, I mean, you know, if you ask my wife what her favorite, who her favorite band is, she can't tell you. She likes a lot of, she's, you know, she was a, a competitive singer. She's very into music. She very much enjoys music. She doesn't have a favorite band. She says when she was 13, she had a crush on Rick Springfield. Hmm. I, on the other hand, remember Rick Springfield because he blew up in the first episode of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> but she <laughs> literally turned into a column of fire before his Viper went up in flames. <laughs> but, but she can't she can't name a favorite artist. She can't tell you she likes Little House on the Prairie and she enjoyed the X-Files, but she can't name a favorite TV show that she's just totally attached to and, you know, me, since I'm seven years old, it's been Star Wars, Kiss, Dallas Cowboys. You know, yeah. it doesn't change. <laughs> well, and, you know, like, um, and, and I tend to agree with I, my view of it. And I don't know if this is necessarily true of children today, because I just I mean, I barely related to my own generation asking me to relate to the younger ones. I'm, it's, it's asking too much. <laughs> but my view of it at least used to be that it's kind of the American male's birthright to have one particular band that really reached you, you know, that you have mm-hmm. all of their CDs, you have their posters or just, or, or whatever paraphernalia, you know, their t-shirts, just pick your favorite swag. Right. And yeah. it's all, I would say that, you know, there, there's almost an entitlement there that, you know, you deserve to have this. And I've got, you know, two or three to choose from myself. And it kind of boggles my mind to meet somebody, even if it's a dude. But I don't know very many guys who don't have somebody. Even no, even my best friend's lurk of a roommate. I mean, his big thing is Michael Jackson. And is like obsessive about Michael Jackson. <laughs> and like, and it's one thing to be like into Michael Jackson, like post-2009 after the fucker died. To be big into Michael Jackson before he died? Whoa. You know, uh, that I don't know what to tell you there, dude. Hey, anybody who owns a Michael is Innocent shirt, I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, well, and you know, well, actually, I'll spare you that rant. But anyway, suffice it to say, like, I fell in love with Led Zeppelin when I was in, I want to say it was eighth grade. And keep in mind, I wasn't even mm-hmm. born until after those sons of bitches broke up. But I heard. No, sure. Yeah, I heard their song Cashmere, and dude, I got to tell you, that that did it. That was it for me. And, you know, then of course you can go back through their entire catalog and you find all these little golden nuggets and stuff. But I think that's the way, you know, and I think we've kind of lost something like that, you know, in this, I, and I hate to sound like an old fuddy duddy here, but like in this fucking iTunes world that we live in now where everybody's downloading singles, and it kind of makes you mm-hmm. lose respect for the value of an album, you know, like the idea of. You know, you're never going to hear something like When the Levee Breaks on FM radio, or Sirius radio for that matter, satellite. But you're never going to hear that kind of stuff on radio. But that's one of their best fucking songs. And it's just, it's not top 40 material. Never was, never will be. But it doesn't make it, that doesn't mean it's not fucking cool. You know, I, I hate to bring this up as as uh, as you're a Led Zeppelin fan, and it's because it's, it's probably not the one you want to hear. Mm-hmm. But... Stairway to Heaven is not a top 40 hit. No, it's not. It's it's the most played thing in their catalog, but it's not a top 40 hit. It never was. And if everything is based on this the singles mentality, that song would never be where it is, which I don't know, you know, I don't know what your feeling is on it. You may you may find that re- a relief 
because then the attention can go to something else. But uh, how it, much it, more fucking attention can that song get? Honestly, well, that's what I'm. Saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's, you know, if I, it had been a single, do you know what would have needed to happen? Yeah, it would have been cut down. It would have cut to three minutes. And there's no way you can do that song justice in three minutes. No, no way. You know? Nope. Because they're not the Beatles, and the Beatles can release seven minutes of Hey Jude, but I don't. I think they're the only ones that could have gotten away with that. I, you know, I tend to agree. Well, anyway, and like I said, I mean, it's just it's something that I kind of I feel bad about. You know, that the modern kid today. Yeah. I feel like they. They really don't know what they're missing, you know? Well, jumping into radio just a little bit, because that's that's my area, mm-hmm. is rock radio barely exists. I mean, it really, we have a rock station in our group, and I'm really proud of that fact, and I'm really proud of the station, but it's one of the few straight-up mainstream rock stations that, that plays, you know, down-the-middle rock, and that's that was the place where you got your album cuts. That's the place where your album cuts were... They were pushed towards rock radio, and so that's where you kind of discovered some of those deeper cuts. And then, of course, buying the album and finding these, finding these gems, three cuts into side two, and that kind of thing. Right. Uh, and you you don't have that anymore. There's not the thrill of buying the album and listening straight through, and then going back and finding the cool stuff that's not on the single. And it's just not, yeah, it's not there. And they don't, they don't get it now. They they'll never get that. Right. Or here's one. Here's something that fucking nobody ever seems to talk about anymore. You know what? You know what we're probably never going to see again ever? What? B-sides. You remember B-sides? <laughs> I fucking love yeah. B-sides. Like a good fucking B-side. Like dude, it's like on the one hand you can totally see where it, where Okay, like Pearl Jam, right? Another one of my favorites. They had so fucking many B-sides from their second album. You can see why, you know, this didn't really belong on the album because just like the the tone of it and the balance of the album, you could not have put the... This would have totally fucked everything up, the perfect balance that is their second album, right? But on its own merits, I mean, that song is... This song is so fucking good, and you can get like every now and then they'll release like a B-Sides compilation or or maybe you just fucking, you know, it's never get, it never actually gets like properly collected and so you have to make make your own like B-side compilation for Pearl Jam, which is its own kind of cool thing. And that's another thing that, you know, I mean, everything these days that it seems like it comes out has got to be so fucking geared towards radio-friendly, top 40 bullshit. And you know what? There is an art form there. I would never say that there's not. You have you have really got to be a craftsman to, to even have a shot at getting played on the radio, much less breaking out and actually turning it into like some kind of a big hit, right? Yeah. But there's just it, it just kind of and, it, and it's not even a difference in you know caliber of musicians. I mean, shit, I kind of want to be dismissive of this new stuff, but I'm sure that this new generation they got as many badasses as anybody. But it's just yeah. where is it, you know? Yeah, I I got no particular love for the music of Bruno Mars, but I I watched him and his band at that halftime show at the Super Bowl, and they were they were outstanding performers. Yeah. I mean, what wasn't pre-recorded, but. Well, well, yeah, and there is that too. Yeah, and you know, it kind of, you know, people want to say that video killed the radio star. No, dude, MP3 killed the radio star. And I am the MP3 generation. I was in high school when that shit came out, and I, there's no denying, dude, that. Okay, look, I realize that you and I are fundamentally different generations. All I ask is that you hear me out on this. All right. Okay. People okay. want to say that the younger, the this younger group, right? That they never. That basically all of their stuff was interchangeable and you could you could basically plug one person into anywhere else you wouldn't know the difference i maintain that 
that the 1990s were fucking criminally underrated when it came to how diverse that really was. You had stuff like No Doubt, this kind of light, bubblegum, ska, punk stuff. Back when Gwen mm -hmm. Stefani gave a shit, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and, like, you know, tried to sing. Mm -hmm. So you had that. You had stuff. You had the, the whole grunge movement. All right. Yeah. That was its own. That, that, that was a whole scene all by itself. And there was a lot of just audio, uh, aural di diversity there. And you mm -hmm. even had, like, weird kind of big band stuff, like the Squirrel Nut Zippers. They were top 40 at one point. And yeah, you big just had. Big bad voodoo daddy. Yeah. yeah. And this whole, this, I mean, there really was, you know, you had these, these sort of passages and movements of trends and, you know, the electronic stuff really was popular for like a year and then it went away and then it was Britpop and then that was popular for six months and then that went away. And, you know, there was just so much stuff and it, it really bothers, you know, kind of bothers me when people say that, you know, the 1990s is defined by Nirvana. I don't know what fucking radio you guys were listening to because it's just not true. Uh, see, I bear I bear Nirvana a gigantic grudge. Hey, so, cheers! Hey, lay, hey I, put it out there, dude. What, what you got? <laughs> no, I just I I was a big '80s metal guy. Mm. Uh, I loved '80s metal. I can't stand the term hair band because the hair never played a note. And there were some amazing musicians in that group that gets written off because it had big hair. I mean, you've got Malmsteen. Or, yeah, well, that's drumming, yeah. Uh, but you've got Ingve Malmsteen, who is a tremendous, I mean, one of the great guitarists. You've got Steve Vai. Oh, Steve Vai, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got Joe Satriani. I mean, you've got all these guys who are stunning, stunning musicians, and it's all written off because there was an era where there was a, a lot of flash and a lot of hair and a lot of visuals. And quite frankly, I enjoy visuals when you're going to see somebody live. So when Nirvana came up, and they literally single-handedly crushed that whole thing crushed it and uh, I, I remember i was in college and i was the, most afternoons i had a i was i'm very routine driven mm -hmm. which is why you caught me today after six hours or so of editing dinner for geeks because sunday is my day to just bang it all out mm -hmm. and uh in college i'd gotten into a pattern where i was going to certain classes certain days and then i'd go would take a quick nap and then go to another class and one day I went to my dorm room I'm trying to take my nap and I cannot because the idiot next to me is blasting as loud as he can this thing. And it, and it sounds like when somebody teaches you a power fifth on guitar, like the first thing you would come up with just tooling around on the neck of your guitar, not knowing what you were doing. And he blasted over and over and over again. I thought this is another one of these because in college there's a lot of these just these hippie type who like everything obscure and esoteric and it'll never be mainstream and all of that. And I thought, well, this is another one of those instances where this guy likes this stupid esoteric thing that will never be anything. This is ridiculous. And he's keeping me from sleeping because he's blasting it over and over and over and over again. It was like 45 straight minutes of the same song. Sure. And so I visited home for the weekend and all the all my buddies are going, man, have you heard this? And it smells like teen spirit. And that was the freaking song that that guy would not let me sleep on. And I went, you guys, you like this? This is a thing people like? And oh yeah, man, this is badass. Listen to it. And they were all 80s metal guys too, and they didn't recognize what was coming. They basically they thought it was all part of the same thing. Shown the door, really, is what it came down yeah. to. Oh yeah, not just shown the door, kicked out on its ass. <laughs> and they didn't. They thought it was all part of the same thing. I, you don't 
don't remember this probably, but uh, Headbangers Ball, which was the the metal show yeah, Saturday metal night, show on MTV, yeah, that was the metal. Yeah, yeah, they showed Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, I guess that was before they had what was 120 minutes or what? It, or well, 120 minutes had been on before actually, right? Uh, but, but that was just kind of right. the alternative stuff. But since the the 80s metal, the quote unquote hair metal band thing was was so huge that that you know they. Everybody who was into that stuff thought the Nirvana thing was just the next extension of that, and it wasn't. It was a killer. Well, actually, I, I read a very sad story about that. Um, I forget the guys. You you probably know who it is, but the uh, lead the lead guitarist from uh, the band Warrant, right? Oh, uh, guitarist? Yeah. Uh, oh, God, there were a few of them. Oh, okay, well... <laughs> Go ahead. Well, one in particular, right? He said... You know, basically, this is how he knew that the end was upon him, right? He said he went. They met with a particular record label executive. Yes, on I know a the fairly semi-annual basis, right? They went in there, and every year, the guy always had a warrant poster up. One of the last times, maybe the last time, he had a. Uh, yeah, it was either a Nirvana poster up or it was Alice in Chains. I forget which. No, it was Alice in Chains because they were. That was the same label. It was all Columbia. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. And um, and he said that you know from from the time that he saw that poster, like you have to understand, like stuff like Warrant, Guns and Roses, and stuff. This stuff is still cutting edge, as far as anybody knows. You know, grunge hasn't even thought about hitting the mainstream yet. This guy no. knew where things were going, and he had the Alice in Chains poster up, and and. Basically, the, the guitarist's point was, I knew at that point, the show's over. And it was. Yep. From then on, it was, you know. And honestly, you know, is Warrant. You know, who the hell? I couldn't even pick a Warrant song out of a room full of assholes. I'm just saying, that's a, just a fucking sad story, <laughs> dude. You know? Oh, come on. You don't know that. Now, I was never a huge Warrant fan, although I did see them live once. But that was just because they were open for Dokken. Mm. I'll talk to you for an hour about Dokken. Uh, but no, uh, Heaven? You don't remember Heaven? Guess not. That's Wait, no, the it. Brian Adams thing? <laughs> uh, 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 cherry Pie, you have to know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I didn't know that was them. That's okay. Right. Yeah, that's Warrant. All right. All right. The late Janie Lane and Warrant. Yeah. And they actually put on, I again, they were not one of my favorites, but they actually, when I saw them in 1999 at the House of Blues opening for Dawkins, they, they put on a really good show. Yeah, and I wouldn't doubt it, but I don't know. It's just you have to understand when I was growing up, that whole and I hate and I hate I don't want to say the word hair metal because obviously that's a sensitive thing for you. But that whole scene was <laughs> yeah. it was just a little bit below me. The first of and they really weren't part of that scene to begin with. But the first band I can really remember connecting to as far as just mm -hmm. down the line rock and roll, everything that I that I was starting to think, you know what, this is what a rock band needs to sound like. It was fucking Guns N' Roses. I, you know, I haven't well, heard that kind of crunch before, you know, with the sound of the guitar and the vocals and all that stuff. And I mean classic GNR, not, you know, yeah. slashing. No, they, but, but, you know, they were they were lumped in with that. And they were really part of that scene. I mean, they really were. That L.A. play of the whiskey, a go-go. They were part of that, but they were they were a very distinct voice in that crowd. And you probably don't remember this, but there were a bunch of bands that came out after them were part of that 80s metal crowd that were very derivative of what they were doing so much to the point that there was a group called Faster Pussycat 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I remember. And I heard Tamey it. Down, the singer was, I think he owned the Cat House, one of those clubs on the, on the Strip mm-hmm. in L.A. And when you looked at him, it was a blonde singer, you know, with spiky hair like Axel had in the, in the Welcome to the Jungle uh, video. There was a black-headed guitar player with shades. There was another guy that wore a top hat. I mean, faster, faster pussycat Jeez. looked a hell of a lot like GNR. And then you had L.A. Guns, which was Tracy Guns, who was the guns from the original Guns N' Roses. Right. They got a record deal because they wound up having a top 40 hit, one top 40 hit. And, uh, you know, there were there were just a bunch of them that came out. Dangerous Toys, whose singer, Jason McMaster, sounded a lot like uh, Axl Rose. And their, the bass and their production of their first album sounded very Guns N' Roses. They were actually a pretty good band. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of the a lot of that 80s metal scene, once Guns N' Roses just jumped on it, it became such a tight. And a lot of those guys followed suit with them. Well, and I would argue that's really not necessarily a new thing for rock and roll. I mean, if you look, you look yeah. back at things like... Uh, Deep Purple, and I guess specifically White Snake with David Cover version. I mean David Coverdale. <laughs> kind of copycatting not only Robert Plant's basic look at the time, but sort of his singing style. And I always thought his natural range was to be a little bit lower, like two, three octaves lower, and just kind of husky. And he would, uh, he would just try to artificially force his voice up into the upper registers. And I just never bought it. I mean, look, I freely admit I'm a, I'm a kind of a zeppelin fanboy so maybe maybe it's just my preferences are coming out here but i remember hearing what well, still of the night was it still of the night is a very led zeppelin song and song structure it's it's got black dog to it yeah it's got it's got a bunch of different little zeppelin movements to it yeah and it just i'd like to think that you know look i don't think any 13 year old has that good a bullshit detector but i'd like to think mine was working at least well <laughs> enough to know that you know i realize that both of these songs are well well before my time but i know a cheap knockoff when i hear it and uh you you know <laughs> and, and yeah then, i i mean i i do dig that that white snake album that that's off of though i mean it's just a pretty well produced piece of piece of uh pop metal but if you if you look at the i mean that was probably the 12th white snake album yeah at that point yeah <laughs> and he because he had been trying it with every single combination of musician and style he could think of to make it happen and that's the only one that is even listenable to me up to that point oh wow but uh yeah he'd been i mean a lot of a lot of it sounded you know southern rocky and that kind of thing you should hear the original recording of here i go again you remember here i go again which is on that same album of course that still of the night was on right you should hear the album before that he actually put that on there uh, the first time it ever showed up was on an album called Saints and Sinners by White Snake, mm-hmm. and it is just god awful. That nice little keyboard at the beginning is just a—it sounds like a Hammond organ or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's ugh. just the ugh. and the line like like a hobo I was born to walk alone, which I don't even know what that means. Now, who uses the word hobo? So <laughs> I don't just, think people even know what that word really means anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, I hate to. Oh shit! I can't even yeah. explain why we why we don't see hobos anymore because I'll be called names, and I'm going through enough of that right now on Facebook as it is. So, yes, you are. So, wow, one little comment, but, I tell you. <laughs> but yeah, I. I and so basically, what is, you're saying is White Snake was just fucking Spinal Tap. Really, is what it comes down to. They they just kept <laughs> mutating and changing their style, and they're they're fucking Spinal Tap. And band members, band members like Cray, I mean, Coverdale, 
there was I think there was one guy that was in on every album up until that White Snake album, the self-titled one, which was like their twelfth album, and then he left. So I mean, Coverdale was the only thing that was constant amongst all of those albums. He was it. He just kept throwing that name on everything he did. I guess. Well, you know, I hate to say it. My generation now has a modern equivalent, but like in reverse, they started off great, and now they just don't know when to fucking hang it up. The Smashing Pumpkins, right? Fucking, <laughs> I was obsessed with Smashing Pumpkins when I was when I was in high school because you know, yeah. let's face it, really nobody really sounded like them, you know. It wasn't that mm-hmm. common a sound, and then of course you know they broke up in in 2000, and so I thought, okay, great. Well, they have this sort of immaculate catalog now; nothing can ever take it away or detract from it and I, little did I know that you know I, the one thing I wasn't factoring in on was the guy who owns the fucking name Billy Corgan keep mm-hmm. and keep and at this point I think he is the only continuous member of that band they've changed out literally everybody else and you know there's even a sense in which maybe that's kind of fair because you know he and the drummer Jimmy Chamberlain pretty much mm-hmm. made those first couple of CDs they wouldn't let their lead guitarist and their bassist play because they really can't play and so, you nice. know, and I, I hate to say it, but I'm, I've got to play the PC card. You know, their lead guitarist is an Asian dude. Their bassist is a chick. You know, I think they were they were kind of ahead of the curve a little bit in terms of, you know, wanting to have a very Star Trek friendly type of rock musician lineup here. You know, no one can say that but we're... maybe they did. So they, they may have been a little affirmative action in choosing the lineup is what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, well, anyway, and so. Now where does where does Siamese Dream enter all of this? Because that's that's the first album of theirs I ever heard. That was their second that they made. They they made a first they made a first one that was called Gish, and that one it's one of those things that it just God bless them came out at the wrong time, you know. I think it came out like 1990 or 91, and at that point mainstream culture was still very fixated on Guns N' Roses, very fixated on Metallica and stuff like that. The whole alternative thing, people can say whatever they want about. REM and Jane's Addiction and all that stuff, none of that shit had taken hold. Red Hot Chili Peppers, none of that shit had taken hold. It took, Mm. for better or for worse, it took Nirvana to give bands like Smashing Pumpkins any kind of audience at all. And then once that happened, there is sort of a trickle-down effect that even though they've got really nothing to do with Seattle, there is still the trickle-down where Mm. they get to benefit too because they have... Yeah, no, they're a Chicago band, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they still got swept up in that whole alternative music scene sort of largesse and I think a lot of people some of which maybe didn't deserve it but a lot of people ended up benefiting off of that and as it happened they had at the time the songwriting and the musicianship to back it up then these days not so much they sell out audience they sell out concerts and shit everywhere they go I just don't see it I mean I've heard their new stuff and maybe it's because I'm just not a pissed off 16 year old anymore Maybe it's because he's not a pissed off 16-year-old anymore. I don't know. It sucks. It changes. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, and honestly, I guess what I always feared was just, you know, years down the line, you know, my generation having our own Rolling Stones, you know, that band that just, God bless them, don't take the fucking hint, you know? Mm-hmm. If there was ever a time, you know, actually, you know what? You know it's even worse than that? It's the fucking who, all right? I, <laughs> How many original band members are there? They can't even call themselves the Who anymore. They're just the it's two. It's just the two of them. Yeah, yeah. it's the two. The two. <laughs> you know, at least Rolling Stones, they had a they had a, a, a hit song like 1996 or something, right? It's sort of recent. 
Yeah. But you know, the Who. I mean, they. Uh, they're not, I, I think they haven't released like a new CD since what, like 1983? I mean, God, you're out of. No, it. no, no, no. They put a they put a new album out a few years ago. Oh, really? I mean, the fact the fact that you don't know about it probably speaks volumes. But they did. I I'm trying to remember when they put the new one out. But they did actually make a new album, Daltrey and Townsend. Made a new album. Hmm. I cannot, for the life of me, remember what it was. Now I've got to figure it out. I'm. I want to say it was within the next, the last five years. I want to say that. I could be totally. It may have been ten years ago. You got to understand too that when you when you're in your forties, ten years ago was nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. But I ah now I'm trying to remember the name of that stupid thing. All right. Well, I hope it wasn't something really clever and an inventive like Chinese democracy. But um, all right. Well. <laughs> You know what? You know what? I, I, I'm not the biggest Guns fan, but I will actually defend that album. I go I don't for think it, it's dude. Worst please, thing. please it do. Is, it is, it is, terribly overproduced. But I think, I think Axl Rose is better on that album than he ever was before. I think his vocals are better on that album than they ever were. And you know what? Be that as it may, I think the consummate. Uh, Guns N' Roses image is basically you've got Axel and Slash they're sharing a spotlight and and they're uh, mm -hmm. basically ripping through Mr. Brownstone right? Sure. That is the consummate image and now I, I, I admit that that's a visual and it's really got nothing to do with what you hear but somehow the fact that I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Slash is not on this CD mm. it just I'm sorry to me Slash belongs in that band. Now, maybe Axl Rose sure. doesn't think so. Maybe Slash himself doesn't think so. I don't know who the hell to blame on that one. I'm just saying that, you know, you, you, I just, I feel like they're... I blame Axl. I'm sorry? As I blame Axl. Oh, really? No. Well, <laughs> okay. I, I, I just, I feel like, you know, there, there's an iteration of this band that I shouldn't say I fell in love with, but I, I, I tripped into like with, and... Mm -hmm. I, I'm really not interested in listening to something else, you know. I really don't care. Oh, here's one for you. I was never all that all that high on Metallica to begin with. I never thought they were all that. But I really don't care to listen to Metallica that doesn't have Kirk Hammett playing lead guitar or Dream Theater that doesn't have uh, Mike Portnoy playing drums. I don't need to listen to that. I I'm out, you know. And yeah. uh, now, don't take this the wrong way. I, I, as far as I know, Hammett is still part of the band. I, I but yeah, just yes. saying, I don't feel like I need to listen to that. If it, if if that had ever come up, I feel like I'm. Well, actually, I've been done with them for a long time, so that's a shit example. But Dream Theater, right? Uh, Mike Portnoy <laughs> left that band, and ever since yes. then, I mean, yeah, I use their theme song or my, their song as my theme song, and that's great. But honestly, for me, that band ended in, what was it, like 2010 when he left the group, or 2011? Yep. Yep, 2010, yeah. I don't feel like I need to go any further with them. I mean, I, I have my journey with them. It's good. Anything else, I hate to say it, you're a pretender to the throne, dude. Sorry. You're so much a part of that sound, because they're, they're one of those groups that is dependent upon those individual musicians. And he, yeah. he was the... You know what? I, my first experience with them, obviously, was pull me under. Mm -hmm. During the, again, they were kind of that edge of that as '80s metal was being killed. They were still being lumped in with the '80s metal guys, and uh, it, it what made pull me under successful was the double bass, was that drumming. Mm -hmm. Well, and I and 
this is just my own little pet conspiracy theory. You can believe this or not believe this as you see fit. See fit. But, um, I bit the shit out of my tongue. That sounded like nice. I, I, I turned French there for a minute. just bit my fucking tongue. All right. <laughs> Basically, I think Dream Theater, they were on their way to something. Now, they don't really make extremely radio-friendly songs, but at least in that vintage of the band, they had maybe a single or two per album. I think that's a fair way to put it, right? And much like Warrant, much like Motley Crue, much like basically anybody from the 80s metal scene, which I think you could somewhat lump Dream Theater into, they were Yeah, every, well, I mean, they were anyway. Right, and they were every bit as steamrolled by Nirvana as anyone else. But my, my contention is this. Had Nevermind not come out until like 1994 or something like that, Dream Theater would have had a much longer, much healthier, much more uh, financially profitable career than they ended up. Basically, they have Dream Theater's greatest hit is what it comes down to. And I just feel like they're a better band than that. They're not really a radio band, but they're still a better band than I think history will remember, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, they, I, you know, what's funny is when I was putting together that, uh, the Project 400 audio, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go use the exact, I knew that you were using a Dream Theater tune, but I didn't remember which one it was, so I went and shazammed it, and went and found it, and I, but before I did that, I'd listened through, because I thought, well, I'll just pick it out easily, I mean, how many Dream Theater tunes can there be, and I'll find it, no problem, Ooh. and I really was just sitting there, everything I'd go through, I was just digging out, rocking out with this stuff, because there's some real good material right i mean it there's there's some great hooks and just if you like good musicianship if you like basically and i don't know how you'll feel about this but uh heavy rush i i would buy that yeah that sounds of that yeah that's right i buy it sure yeah and i was enjoying the heck out of it so i'm actually going to go back and buy some more old dream theater uh when i get a chance to sit down and pick what i want to buy next uh that's what i'm going to start buying into so that the old Dream Theater discography because I had so much fun listening through it when I was trying to find your tune. Well, and I guess it didn't occur to you to just ask? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Well, uh, I'm trying to remember why I didn't ask. No, you know what? I was working on my own. I was doing my thing and I was up against the what I felt like was a deadline. Hmm. So I was just in a hurry to just go do it. And I knew that I could shazam it. And I was having fun listening through because, again, I didn't have a lot of Dream Theater stuff. What I knew of Dream Theater, I heard on the radio rock radio in the early nineties. And that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of enjoying listening through it. And again, I took, I took once I knew I just needed to do it. I just shazammed it. So it didn't take, it took two seconds when I did that. Well, um, it's just, it's one of those things. Actually, I kind of wish I, now that I think about it, I, you and I didn't really have a chance to haven't had a chance to like really like talk since that, uh, project 400 thing came out. But, yeah, one of the things that had I known in advance that you were going to score everybody's little bit with uh, the relevant theme song from their show, I would have mm-hmm. actually sent you my original raw file because if you just go strictly by the instruments, the song that I use as my theme song does not actually exist on a Dream Theater record. I actually put it together myself. The first part of it, uh, both 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 sections come from the same CD, which is to say, scenes from a memory from 1999, right? The first part of it, though, I want to say it's like track eight. It's called The Dance of Eternity. And it starts off with like mm-hmm. this kind of, I don't know, this sort of explosion type of thing. And then you hear this droning sound. And then slowly the drums start coming in. Da-da-dun, 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 you know? And then 
right when the drums kind of reach their crescendo, then I cut into, I think, the second track from the album. It's Overture 1928. Yeah, that's what I used. Right. But the thing is, those two things, like the way at least that I use them, that's I, I combined those two things together because I thought it sounded better that way. But mm. there's really no way that you can go out and buy a CD that has that exact thing on there because... Fuck it, I don't yeah. like doing anything the simple way. So I wish I could have at least <laughs> sent you... If I had the presence of mind, I, God, I wish I could have sent you over the just basically the monoized, like, raw file of that. And then you could have at least had that to work from and or use it or not use it as you see fit. But at least there, you've got the right of refusal. Yeah. So would have, should have, could have. Well, well, you know, and, and with that, it was really... The story... I've heard, I've heard Spatero's perspective on this on Back to the Vins, but I'll give you mine on it, which was they were, I was listening to, uh, I guess it was a Star Wars Monthly Monday, and we're talking about how their 400th episode was coming up, and they were asking each other if they were going to do anything, and they said, no, we're too busy, we're not going to do anything for it. And I thought, well, that's a crime. Yeah. So I called Paul up, and I said, hey, here's, my, here's what I'm thinking, here's my idea. Uh, I want to see if we can do kind of a tribute to them for their 400th, because they're not going to do anything. Uh, but what I'd like to do is create these little crossover post-credit sequences that we will put on the end of each episode of, of everybody will get one of their different episode you know, where we come and kind of recruit everybody for the team a la the Avengers mm -hmm. and so we tried it for a couple of it was awful it was just bad and uh, we just we just didn't have enough to do it and uh so I thought, well, we tried like three different ones, and I said, and I just said to myself, well, this is really not what I want to do. It's not what I want to use. But, but that whole thing was still kind of sitting out there, and I knew that they'd hit that episode. So we kind of finally said, you know what? Let's just let's see if we just recruit everybody to say something. It was originally the plan anyway. Recruit everybody to say something nice, and then we'll just put it together. And so, something that I had wanted to do six eight weeks in advance wound up being something that i had to do in a couple of days because i had given up on it and paul kind of hit me and went hey are we still doing that thing and i went uh okay let's do it mm -hmm. and uh so that i mean that's really what happened there is i had i had just totally given up on the thing and then all of a sudden everybody seemed interested in doing it so uh everybody did their thing and, and i just pieced it together and it was while i was producing it that i said you know it would be nice that everybody had their own kind of theme underneath it to score them and set them apart. And some people didn't have themes. I made up themes for them. Uh, you know, uh, your best friend didn't have a theme, so I used uh, the Adventures of Superman TV theme. Mm -hmm. And uh, I grabbed some mom's theme for the hair metal hero. And yeah, just I just grabbed what I could. That whole uh, Project 400 thing, I thought it was just a really cool idea, and I was really happy to be to be invited to participate. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, the way I kind of think of it is we're doing the job that two true freaks were just unwilling to do, is what it came down to. <laughs> and, you know, the I mean... The rest of the freaks were... Yeah. Huh? And, you know, it's just, it was... I just thought it was, you know, it was just, it was really sweet. And it, it was, ultimately, it was it, it was from the heart, you know, because I, I do consider, you know, oh. Scott and uh, and Chris to be, to be friends of mine, you know? And so, and, you know, they've been so good to me by you know doing my hosting and all that stuff you know stuff that they let's face it they don't have to be this nice and no. so and uh, it was just a, a great chance to say thank you and also congratulations at the same time so I, I I'm very proud of how things turned out with project 400 
Yeah, I was I was happy with the final result of it. Uh, I was worried about it as we were putting it together, but it really, I think it came out really well. And uh, uh, those guys, I owe a lot to just because we would never have been doing our podcast if it weren't for them. We, uh, I, I don't know if you know this or not, and it's probably pretty boring, but uh, we went to Celebration 6, and my son and I went, and it was kind of, my son, he's 16 now. He, you know, he was getting, he was almost 15 at the point. That was actually his birthday present. It was actually the week after his birthday, so he was 15. And uh, it's when they get older that I would like to do something with my dad. Things starts going away. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that this was kind of going to be one of those last times that we're going to get to kind of go share and do an entire event together. And, and it's just us and there's no other buddies hanging around. And so he and I, did Star Wars Celebration and we sat down in advance we mapped out all the different panels we wanted to go to and all the different stuff and I tried to shade everything towards him you, know, you you be the one to choose everything or most everything And but I, I knew that there was a Marvel Star Wars panel and I said you know, whatever we do you choose everything else but I want to go to this Marvel Star Wars panel I, and I had every intention of, of going there and defending Marvel Star Wars from the people on the panel who are obviously going to sit there and mock it and belittle it for an hour. Right. And so we made that part of our schedule. We got in there, went in the panel, sat down, and these came out and started. It was Scott and Chris, and it was uh, Joshua Bertoni and a couple other folks. Uh, Jennifer Hedle from Lucas Books, and they just sat and loved on Marvel Star Wars. Which, blew me away because I, I didn't think anybody was actually going to do anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I went home, I, I wanted a t-shirt because I knew who Finn Shazza was. And it was kind of all the interaction I had with them at that time. That. And then I went home and wrote about it on Facebook, wrote a big essay about it, about how much I appreciated it, how great it was. And they got in touch with me because somebody linked that to them, you know, it, tagged them on it. And so they got in touch with me. We got to be friends from that point. And Scott constantly telling me, you need to do a podcast. You need to do a podcast. And I had a friend here, Ryan, who's on Dinner for Geeks, was always telling me we need to do a podcast. And finally I broke and said, okay, fine. And I was actually doing, I think I had six or seven, maybe even ten episodes of Dinner for Geeks <clears> up before Scott ever found out about it. I never told him. He came to me and said, you're doing a podcast? When did this start? And I uh, kind of wanted to wait till it was good before I told you what it was, right. what we were doing. So, <laughs> you know, just sorry about that. But yeah, I, so I didn't, I literally launched Dinner Geeks and nobody knew. We put it out there for, I don't know, a couple months before anybody actually found out it was out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I can't argue with the result, though. I mean, it uh, seems like the show pretty much took off. It's you know? doing okay. It's doing okay. We did something that not everybody is doing on the two true freaks network. And that is, and, and when Chris asked us and it was last April, cause I was in Tallahassee, actually, he asked us last April, he said, we're getting ready to launch our site. Would you want to put dinner for geeks on it? And I said, yeah, but I'd like to maintain feed as well. If that's okay with you. And he's, Oh no, that's great. And I know most of the people aren't, but I still, there's just, and I don't know what that reason is, but I still just kind of want to maintain my own feed as well. So we put it up on both places, mm-hmm. and so I can watch our download numbers on both both sites. And it's yeah, it's it's doing okay. I'm happy about it. Well, I'm I, I'm I got to tell you, it's just the thing that 
what I, what I think any any good podcast and needs to do is basically kind of wear its premise on its sleeve. <laughs> and it's hard to get much more simple than dinner for <laughs> geeks. Yes. And it's it, it, first off, I mean the fact that you fucking do it at all, but you can do all of that in three words. You sum your entire shit up in three words. I mean, I, I say that, and my hat is off. You, sir, are a professional, you know? <laughs> well, I stole it, though. I mean, I stole all of that. Oh? You know, Ryan Ryan was, uh, like I said, Ryan bothered me for years about doing a podcast. Oh, right. Okay, fine. But what I'm saying is you're, you, you were still the ringleader of it that you, you know, I well, mean. yeah, but I stole it. Here's, here's what happened. I do trivia once a week and this is, and again, this is going to piss Jeff off probably, but, um, I do the trivia night every week. Mm-hmm. And at the time it was on Tuesday night, but I do trivia night every week. And because I'm on the radio and I do that and I'm hosting the trivia after you get done with trivia, people want to come up and what I call, they want a piece of you. Right. They want to talk to you. They want to chat, chat you up and hear stories and that kind of thing. So I, because my schedule at the time, I was literally on the air until six and I started trivia at seven. So I had to leave the station and go get set up and do trivia. So I didn't eat dinner and I would finish trivia and then everybody'd want their piece of me. And I'd try to sit in the restaurant and eat dinner, but then everybody would kind of come by and want to talk to me the whole time. Right. And after you've done a whole day and then you've done trivia, I just wanted to eat quietly. Right. And so I got to the point where I, I would finish trivia and then kind of chat with everybody. And then I'd pack up and go to a restaurant across the street and sit and eat in silence quietly by myself. Right. And then Ron started following me over there, which of course defeated the purpose of my having dinner silently, you know, quietly. (laughs) In fact, Ron got to the point where he quit going to trivia and he would just show up at the end of trivia to follow me over (laughs) for the meal. And uh, Jeff saw us doing that one day and decided he was going to be part of it. So now I've gone from my nice, quiet dinner by myself to I'm having dinner with two other guys every week. And at the same time, Ryan's going, hey, let's do a podcast. Let's do a podcast. And so I said, you know, I said to Ryan one day, I said, "The, the conversations we're having at dinner are the conversations we would be having on a podcast. I don't have time to do a podcast why don't we just do this? And here's where I, here's what I'm going to tell you. I stole it. There was a show on, I want to say independent film channel called dinner for five. Mm-hmm. And John Favreau was the host and it was John Favreau and then four Hollywood people. And they literally sat at a table. I've used the word literally about 78,000 times tonight. They would sit at the table literally and have literally and <laughs> not figuratively, uh, and they would have dinner and just chat. And it was so cool because it just seemed so off the cuff. It wasn't somebody reading off of a card, all their interview questions and that kind of thing. It just really was a great naturally flowing conversation. Right. And I said, well, we could do dinner for five, but it's geek talk. And so I stole the name dinner for five and changed it into dinner for And There were four of us once we added Ryan to the mix that. Uh, that's where the name came from, Dinner for Geeks. But I totally stole that from Dinner for Five off of Independent Film Channel. Oh, well, that's – look, I see that as a bit of a swipe homage, right? I mean, look, you, <laughs> you want to know where Trennis Magnus punches reality came uh, came from? 
I'd love to know. Uh, there are basically two separate origins for it. Basically, Scott was um, – I, I want to say it was the first get off your ass and make a podcast thing. Mm. Uh, basically, he said, yeah, you don't even have to think up all that inventive a name. Just You can call it just Bob Jones punches reality. Uh, who cares? Just think of something, man. I mean, you just start the fucking show. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, so that, so I've got – Okay, so that name kind of has some disco potential to it. You know, I think that I can do something with that. <laughs> and I, I shit you not. This was – I'm not sure like how interested you are or how active you listen to uh, views from the long box. Oh, yeah. No, Michael, yeah, absolutely. Well, what he did – and I, I, I swear on my mom's honor, this is a complete coincidence, right? But I started thinking, right? <clears throat> I could call my show something or, I don't know, Punch's Reality, and I can start it off with, like, a history of my collecting, right? And what I can mm -hmm. do is, like, my first episode is going to be my first year of collecting comics, and then second episode is the second year, you know, on and on and on. And then once that mm -hmm. idea sort of runs its course, then I can start actually going into topical material. But that'll, that'll, that's good to have that as sort of an introduction, you know, because, number one, it lets me be all nostalgic and shit, gives somebody – gives everybody something to listen to, gives me a chance to get my feet wet and everything. But I'm not really committing to much of anything in mm -hmm. terms of hardcore discussion. I can revisit any of this shit in the future and do a better job if I don't like the way it turned out in that particular episode, right? And no one's going to fault me sure. for it because it's, it, it has to be very kind of summary-oriented, very digest size. And I thought, okay, this is going to be fucking great. I'm, fu I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this shit, right? This was like 2009, right? Well, it was right around <laughs> then... Michael Bailey from Views from the Long Box, by sheer fucking coincidence, I, I kid you not, he started his history of collecting, and it was a little bit different. I think with like episode number 85 or something like that, he basically starts, okay, this is my first year of collecting. These are, this is all the shit that I bought. This is what was going on in my life at the time. This is what I thought about the comics. This is what I thought about my life. And uh, yeah, see you next time. And, uh, dude, I'm telling you, by, like, by the end of this thing, I mean, dude, this is his fucking Abbey Road. And this, <laughs> this thing is just fucking awesome, right? This is one of the mm -hmm. best podcast series I have ever fucking heard. That's how good this is, right? And, like I said, he and I just, by sheer fucking chance, had the same idea at about the same time. But he took it so fucking much further than I ever would have dreamed in my wildest imagination, right? And I thought, I, I can't do this. I, he just blew me out of the fucking water, dude. I, I can't do this. And even if I did, people are going to think I'm copying him. You know, no, fuck that. Sure. You know, and so I, so basically my podcast could have started a couple of years ago, but it just didn't because I was just, I didn't have anything <laughs> else. He, he pretty much took the wind right out of my sails. And, and like I said, this isn't like one of us copying the other. I'm just saying that we had the same idea at the same time. It's just, it's fucked up, but it happens, mm. right? And so oh, I was yeah. like, well, fuck. So anyway, and then like much later, uh, like this, it was summer of 2013. The, the air conditioner in my condo died in July. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm home all day. Right. And I'm sitting in front of my computer for a good bit of this. Right. And. I've got every fan I can find. It's all just pointed at me. And I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, if I were to die right now, a whole lot of people don't even know that I even like comics. You know, maybe I should start that podcast, <laughs> you know, because there's literally nothing else to do. Right. And so and I thought, well, what am I going to call it? What? 
that's how you got to that? Yeah. Basically, some guy tried to pick a fight with me, and I ended up bodily throwing him out my front door. And anyway, and so I thought, well, fuck, man, what am I going to call it? I'm like, well, that punching reality or punches reality or whatever it was, that, that sounded kind of kind of good. And I thought, but I need to have a name. It needs to, And I've been using the name Trennis Magnus on Facebook for a long time. And for those of you who don't know, everything that I put on my Facebook like profile – as far as like information and biographical de- uh, uh, details and all that stuff, it's all bullshit. What? Yeah, I do not. There. In fact, when I put Springfield, Texas, in as my hometown, I didn't even know there is a Springfield, Texas. I thought it was a completely made-up fucking town. No, it turns out there is a Springfield, Texas. And so, <laughs> I, I and I did not, in fact, attend Smallville High School. I did not attend Hogwarts. What? Yeah, I didn't attend Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry in Pig, Kentucky. I, none of that. How can this be? Well, I just don't like putting my real info out there. No one, no one needs to know it, and Facebook insists. And so I've been using just all kinds of bullshit names over the years. I was Obi-Wan Trentobi for a while, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I thought, well, Trennis Magnus, I've been using that name, so why not just, why not just use that? Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And so, I mean, I'm fucking never going to use my real name in public anyway. They won't know the difference. Hell, some people may even think that's my real name. And so that's basically how it all ended up coming about. I, you know, this guy came over to came over to my house, tried to pick a fight with me. I ended up throwing him out the door. I got upstairs, lost my shit over it and thought, you know what? If I'm going to die of a heart attack because I lose my temper someday, I at least want to have some kind of record that I was here. And I had opinions about things, you know? And so that's that's where it started. I wish it was simpler than that. It's not. Wow. I did not know any of this. Yeah, well, yeah. Stick with me, kid. I'll show you the world. So, <laughs> anyway, well, uh... I think uh, I think we've pretty much uh, tapped out here. So, uh, why don't you tell everybody, as if they don't know, but just in case, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? <laughs> dinner for geeks, D4G, where uh, we have this for dinner, huh? Where pretentiousness goes for dinner. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we actually own the D- the dinner for geeks.com website, but it all goes back to twotruefreaks.com. So uh, you can go to either one of those sites and you're going to find all the wonderful stuff at Two True Freaks, of which we are one. We upload every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if, you, you know, if you're really interested in getting hardcore political entertainment fun, that kind of thing, I am on the, in the mornings on 1440 WGIG, which you can get at 1440WGIG.net. Mm-hmm. Or we have a, a handy-dandy app that is 1440WGIG. You can find it at the iTunes store. So there you go. And what if somebody wanted to send an email to Dinner for Geeks? Where where would they send that email? They would send that email to geeks at dinnerforgeeks.com. Now, the number four. Right. And what if somebody really loves Ron's beard and they want to send fan mail about <laughs> that? Where would they send that email? If they want to send that email, they need to send it to ronsbeard at dinnerforgeeks.com. And Ryan's catchphrase, or his crutch phrase, what's it called? Also has its own email address. If you're a big fan of that, uh, that is what's it called at dinnerforgeeks.com. Oh, badass. All right. Those are all real email addresses. Okay. All right. Well, um, I think that's basically it for me. So I just want to uh, say thank you, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the time to join in and just kind of cut up with me. No, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. Always. We need to do this again. This this was great. Absolutely. And uh, 
you're not going to tell everybody why I'm doing this, right? Doing what? <laughs> I just, you know, I know how much I enjoyed your Dan Jurgens conversation. Yeah. I know how much. Uh, 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 who's the guy from Batman? Brayfogle. Yeah, Norm Brayfogle. I listened to that one and enjoyed that. And I thought there was a third one coming up for some reason. Uh, well, apparently not. So, <laughs> good dick. All right. So, all right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for me this week. So, bye everybody, and I'll see you next week. Disparate reaches of geekdom here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan the Toy Geek, Scott the award winning radio host, Jeff Scott's Minion, and Ron. Just Ron. Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind. It's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Neymar and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Uh, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. 
Take the Dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S M-A-G-N-U-S Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows That's right Simply click the PayPal link donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. Use other side for additional listings, for recreational use only. All models are over the age of 18. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>